That's what I love about music. One of the most banal scenes is suddenly invested in so much meaning, you know? All of these banalities, they're suddenly turned into these, these beautiful effervescent pearls from music. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. Welcome back, Geneva. It's been... Thank you. A, a while since we recorded. I feel I feel like I've gotten so used to just recording episodes very like back to back that I when know. they take longer than a week, it feels like forever. It does. Yeah. I honestly didn't realize that it was that long until I pulled up my letterbox to see when it was that I watched our last movie. Yeah. And then you also, at least for me, I'm like, oh, I've watched way more things this time. Whereas last time I was like, I yeah. haven't watched anything. Um but anyway, speaking of which, uh, catch us up on what you've been watching, if anything. Yes. So I have only watched two things in the intervening time because the main thing that I saw while we were apart was the Grand Canyon. I went to the yes. Grand Canyon. So that's obviously not a movie, but I just wanted to I mean, sh- it could throw be a shout movie. out because there's probably a movie out there called <laughs> Honestly, Grand my friend and I, we went and we saw an IMAX movie about the Grand Canyon while we were there and it was pretty well done. Nice. I would recommend yeah, the, the the wonders of nature, guys. It's it's great. Yeah. Highly recommend. Highly recommend nature. <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10. Yeah. Just what you need to hear on this movie podcast. Yeah. All right. Um, <clears throat> in terms of actual movies that I watched, uh, so just two to report. The first is Lady Macbeth, which is Florence Pugh's, um, I don't, I can't remember whether it's her first film role or her her kind of breakout role. But either way, it's the the first thing that I had ever heard of her for. And so I finally watched it for the first time. Excellent movie. Very, it's a um, historical drama about a woman who is, um, she's kind of forced into this loveless marriage with this, um, this really cruel older man who is um, just determined to crush her spirit. And it follows the the way that she copes and eventually reacts against that. And I don't want to say more because this movie takes a lot of twists and turns. Um, It is, yeah, it is hard to watch in some places, um, but it is really, really well done. And Florence Pugh, I mean, you can see why she basically instantly became a star because she is phenomenal in the movie. She is so striking and you just cannot keep your eyes off of her. So Lady Macbeth, highly recommend. And then second, I rewatched for the the first time in a very long time a movie that I was a little bit obsessed with when I was a child. <laughs> I had a huge obsession with the Titanic as a child, as as kids do. <laughs> you know, completely normal thing to be obsessed yep. with. I did um, too. <laughs> okay, yes. It's not, yeah, it's a thing. I don't know why, yeah. but it is a thing. Um, but I used to watch the movie A Night to Remember over and over when I was a kid. So I haven't seen this movie in like probably 20 years or more, but let me tell you, it holds up. A Night to Remember is a phenomenal movie. It is, um, 
about the sinking of the Titanic, but it's based on a book by, I believe his name is Walter Lord, who was collecting the stories of survivors and trying to create an accurate account of what happened aboard the ship. So the film mostly follows real people. There are some um, occasional composites or um, there are some alterations of names here and there, but for the most part, it takes you through what really happened. Um, and then it just shows you it's it's very much an ensemble movie. There's one there's no one protagonist. It's jumping between multiple people throughout every kind of station and social class and position of in the crew um, who are aboard the ship and showing what all those different experiences were like. So obviously for the the first class, you know, there's a certain level of treatment. There is a, a better um, guarantee that you might be safe, especially if you are a, a child or a woman. Um, whereas if you were a third class, you were basically um, kept in uh, below deck um, as much as possible until it was almost too late. And um, you just see all the the human experiences that come with that story. You know, it's just a story that has completely gripped us for over a hundred years and for good reason. And um, the acting is really fantastic. The writing is, is really sharp and it's a movie that is just, it's both very moving, but it's also very socially conscious. It's very much interested in the ideas of, you know, what does this Titanic story speak to in our culture? How can it be relevant even years later after um, changes have been made. How are there still ways that it can speak to us today? So yeah, A Night to Remember. <laughs> Highly recommend, especially if you have any interest in this story. But if you just are interested in, in well-done human drama, it was, it's a really good movie. Did you say what year it was? Uh, no, I don't think I did. Uh, 1958, I believe. Okay. Yes, 1958. Yeah, it sounds like something I would be interested in checking out. So I'll have to I'll have to add it to my watch list. <laughs> yeah, please do. My one, very short watch yes. list. <laughs> one um, fascinating little tidbit about this movie is that at the time that this movie was made, you know, the Titanic was not discovered. The location of it was not discovered until the 80s. And so it was not generally known that the Titanic broke in half when it sank. So in the movie, you see the Titanic just slip in under the water full and intact um when the survivors were interviewed about what happened that night some of them reported that they believed the ship had broken in half but because it was so dark and because there mm -hmm. was just so much noise and confusion and because that had never really happened like no one thought that that could happen no one had really you know something like this was so unprecedented the idea of a ship breaking in half as it sank has it just basically never happened before and so people disbelieved what the survivors reported and they just assumed oh no it's it sank in one piece and it wasn't until the ship was actually discovered under the water that we realized you know the those survivors who reported that were correct it did break in half yeah that's ugh, the titanic is like horrifying <laughs> um yeah it's one of my worst nightmares um, but yeah, thanks for that recommendation. Um, anything else? Nope. That's it. All right. Well, um, I've watched a lot of things because it's been over a week since we last recorded and, um, who knows, maybe by the time this is released, things will be different. But, uh, as of now, when we're recording this, we are still in a strike and there's still no work happening. So, um, I have a lot more free time on my hands than I would like. So um, I ended up finishing my rewatch of Breaking Bad and 
Good Lord. I, you know, I think I talked a few episodes ago about how that show is just really special to me and, and how it's like my favorite show of all time and why I didn't watch it for years and years because I wanted it to feel fresh if I ever watched it again. Like, I don't ever want it to be something where I watch it and I know what's going to happen, you know? And so because I'd waited so long to rewatch it, there were a lot of things that I forgot. And um, when I rewatched it this time around, it started out in the beginning and I was like, yeah, yeah, this show's really good, but I don't, it doesn't really seem like this transcendent best show of all time that I remember it being. That's kind of makes me a little bit sad. Like maybe the magic is gone because I'm watching it for a second time. But that is that is false. The show gets better and better and better and better and better and better as it goes on. And by the last, I mean, all of season four and season, I mean, it's just season four and season five. It it's the best show ever made. I just it's it's absolutely phenomenal. All of the acting performances are out of this world. The writing, the pacing, the story like it's just it, it, it's a miracle that this show exists. So yeah, I'm very, very happy that I rewatched this show. I'm probably going to wait 15 years before I watch it again, because <laughs> now that I've seen it twice, I feel like I need to wait more time in order for me to like forget again. Um, but it's fantastic. Um, and then actually after finishing the last episode of Breaking Bad, I immediately did a rewatch of El Camino, uh, which is the movie that Vince Gilligan released a few years later about Jesse Pinkman, what happens to him after the Breaking Bad series ended. And so the last time I finished the show, I didn't have this movie to jump into right away. But this time I did. Um, it's really a satisfying conclusion to the story of Jesse Pinkman. Um, I'm really glad that this movie exists because I think for people who have watched Breaking Bad, Jesse Pinkman is arguably everyone's favorite character. Um, I think he gives, I think he ties Brian Cranston for the best performance in the show. I mean, Anna Gunn, everyone, uh, but I, yeah, I really, I'm really grateful to have a whole movie that just surrounds Jesse Pinkman and, and the conclusion to his story because it's so tragic throughout the whole show. He, he is, ugh, you're just like, when will Jesse ever catch a break? And uh, spoiler alert, in El Camino, he gets the happy ending we all want him to have. And it makes me very happy. Uh, so yeah, anyway. Um, and then real quickly, just to kind of breeze through this, I did a rewatch of the movie Babylon. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Before you move on to that, quick question. Have you watched yeah. any of Better Call Saul? Oh, I've seen all of Better Call Saul. I watched that live. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which I will say, it was also super interesting watching Breaking Bad this time around and having in the back of my head, like, I know what's going on in Saul slash Jimmy McGill's personal life right now. This is weird. <laughs> like, like, it's so weird that I see him as a lawyer on this show, but then I know that he's this super complex character at the same time doing all of these other things, uh, which was really interesting. Um, I would love it if someone like on the internet did some sort of like chronological, like putting it all together between Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Oh, um, I did not, having never finished Breaking Bad and having never watched any of Better Call Saul, I didn't realize that they take place take place simultaneously for any portion well, of it. I assume Better Call Saul was completely a prequel. N no, it's a prequel. It happens at the same time and it happens after. So it's kind of, it's a, it's very much so, it's not attached to the universe of Breaking Bad aside from Saul is a character in Breaking Bad. Other than that, it's just like a Jimmy McGill story about his life. Um, so 
Yeah, which is why when they had the very few Breaking Bad crossovers that they did have in Better Call Saul, all everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, like cool." Um, but anyway, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I also did a rewatch of Damien Chazelle's Babylon from 2022. I have been dying to rewatch this movie since it came out last year. Um, it's on Amazon Prime, and this movie, it was not as perfect as I remembered it being but it's still a really good movie it's really good um again like the production design is fantastic I really just think I just love its portrayal of Hollywood and cinema and the questions that it asks about being in the film industry and wanting to be an artist but how Hollywood is corrupt but how it's also beautiful and you know how you see the rise and fall of people and how some people have this steady rise and some people have this skyrocket like instant it's just it's a really it's a really good movie it's very well done um it was a lot more depressing this time around than I remembered uh it's a lot more of a hopeless type of film than I remembered it being um but I mean either way it's a great film so yeah I rewatched Babylon I assume we're probably going to do an episode on Babylon at some point we absolutely will uh but I would like you to watch the movie before that point because we might not (laughs) talk about it on this podcast for a while Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think you should watch the movie. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting more intrigued to watch it. I feel like now with distance, I'm cautiously intrigued. Yeah, it's, it's a good movie. Um, and then lastly, I, um, oh, I guess two other things. I, I'll make these super quick. So I watched the 1961 Italian film La Notte. I think that's how you say it in Italian. Um, it's another one of the famous films starring Marcello Mastroianni. Um, <laughs> he's a very famous um, Italian actor from you know the 1950s, 60s, that that sort of time period. Um, this movie Is was he very the, good. He he's the guy from Eight and a Half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've seen him now in Eight and a Half, La Dolce Vita, and this one, Lanat. Um, he's a fantastic actor. I just really love him. His his face is amazing in terms of like how he just expresses things and um, all of that. But yeah, yeah, this movie is very good. It it's beautiful. It looks beautiful. It has some great black and white cinematography. Um, it's really interesting. This period of like the nineteen fifties and sixties with the movies that I've seen from people like certain Italian directors and Ingmar Bergman and Andre Tarkovsky, there really was just like a trend around this time, at least in like non-American films of people making long movies where people just talk about existential topics. (laughs) Like people just walking around and being like, death, what does it mean? Why do we write and create art? writing things as an expression of whatever but can we always be writers were we ever writers to begin with what's the purpose of it? you know it's just very like I mean I love these movies they're fantastic um but it's just interesting how there was just kind of a trend of movies like this coming out at this time and La, La Note I think maybe that's how you say it uh it continues in that vein it's very much so uh the main character is uh, a writer who talks about writing and aging and the purpose of life and him and his wife um you learn that they have this relationship where they loved each other in the past but now they're growing apart and 
at certain points they might want to get back together and they might not want to because they want to be free, but they want to be together because what's the purpose of being together and what's the purpose of being apart and let's meditate on human relationships and life and all of that. Um, so it's good. It's a long movie. It's definitely, you have to like pay attention and really think. Uh, so it's not a fun, it's not a fun movie to watch, but that being said, uh, it asks a lot of great questions and it looks beautiful. So that's, that's La Note came out in 1961. The way you're describing that reminds me a little bit of um, a Roberto Rossellini movie that I saw a few months ago called Journey to Italy, which I think is the I want to say mid, maybe late 50s, um, mm-hmm. and it's Ingrid Bergman and George Sanders. Have you ever seen that? No. Okay. I, I would highly recommend. Um, Ingrid Bergman's collaborated many times with Roberto Rossellini. I have not. This is the only one of their collaborations I've seen so far. Um, but it's similarly a, a married couple who's going on a journey together, and they have a very contentious, complex relationship that is full of love, but also full of, you know, just the uh, the tensions and frustrations that have been building up over the years and yeah good good movie I would recommend if you're interested in that theme yeah I feel like I should make a, a list on letterbox that's like movies of people just walking around and talking about existential aspects of life <laughs> that would be interesting it would probably be all movies from the 1950s and <laughs> 60s um but anyway yeah um wow we've taken a long time to do this um last thing real quick I started watching the television show Reservation Dogs um I tried it a few years back when the first season came out and for whatever reason the first episode didn't really capture my interest so I was like ah, I'll get back to this at some point um, and then the show's kind of had a resurgence recently because the, their final season, I think, is currently airing or it just finished. And it supposedly is like the best of all three seasons and it's very highly reviewed. And so I was like, OK, I've got the time. I might as well jump back into it. It's very funny and it's very good. So I think I've only seen I'm only four episodes in, but I'm enjoying it. Um, it's it's quite funny. And it's really important to see Native American people represented on screen and see their faces. I think everyone on on screen is Native American. I haven't seen anyone that is, oh, no, there's some white people, but they're like an opposing gang. So, (laughs) Um, but yes, very good show, at least so far. I'm enjoying it. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. What, um, I've heard really good things about that show. What streaming platform is it on? It's an FX on Hulu show. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so let's wrap that up. I didn't expect to talk about that for that long. But honestly, we'll get into this in a little bit. I think our discussion of Begin Again will be quite short. So we shall see. (laughs) Yeah, Um, we'll see. But yes. Okay. So today on the show, we will be discussing John Carney's 2013 musical Begin Again. The film tells the story of a once famous record producer, Dan, and a talented singer-songwriter, Greta, who bond over their love of music. After Dan discovers her in a bar, they become collaborators and set out to record an album on the streets of New York. Um, So even though the film received mixed reviews, it was a financial success given that it was made with a budget of $8 million and grossed over $63 million worldwide. That's a pretty big big win there uh, for the Weinstein Company, which we we love to see the Weinstein Company. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so yeah, I have some interesting, uh, tidbits about the casting in this movie. So Adele and Scarlett Johansson were actually originally considered for the role of Greta, but the role obviously ended up going to Kira Knightley. 
Um, Mark Ruffalo and Adam Levine, however, were both John Carney's first choices for Dan and Dave. And even though it was his first feature role, Adam Levine actually declined payment for his appearance in this film, which I thought was really interesting that he did that. Um, But yeah, my last little thing here, I'm just going to kind of read straight from Wikipedia because I thought this was really interesting. Um, Apparently, Knightley and Carney did not have a good relationship while making this. Um, So I'll just read this from Wikipedia. So also for context, John Carney made an excellent film called uh, an excellent film called Sing Street that's referenced several times in this um, in this thing I'm going to read because Sing Street came out after three years after Begin Again. So um, when asked about the critical reaction to Sing Street by The Independent, Carney responded unprompted that, quote, it's a small personal movie with no Kira Knightley's in it. It's really war- rewarding, unquote. In the same interview, Carney also referred to her repeatedly as a model, despite the fact that Knightley had been working professionally as an actress since childhood, saying, quote, I'll never make a film with supermodels again, end quote. He also criticized her in an interview with HeyGuys.com saying, quote, I just think with Kira, it was like asking her to do something that she could not do, unquote. Though he did not specifically name Knightley, he did also in an interview with Deneb Geek say that his desire to make Sing Street came from his, quote, experience of working with, let's face it, with a model on my last film, unquote. Carney later tweeted with a, Carney later tweeted a public apology saying he felt like, quote, a complete idiot, unquote, and saying that Knightley was, quote, nothing but professional and dedicated, unquote, during the filming of the movie. Apparently in 2019, when she was asked about Carney's comments, Knightley accepted his apology and revealed that she was not shocked by his earlier comments as they had not gotten along during filming. So, I, you know, we don't need to go all into that. Uh, I was but- very curious if you were going to bring this up because I was doing a little bit of light Googling about this movie after watching it and discovered this um, little tidbit. And yeah, I'm just a little bit baffled by it. Yeah. I mean, we can talk about Keira Knightley and her performance in the movie. Um, I'm generally, as I'll, as I will talk about, I'm a huge Keira Knightley fan. I think she's a, a very talented actress. And, you know, maybe there are certain things about this movie that are outside of her capacity. But this is just an extremely surprising and ungracious thing to say. And, yeah, I'm a little... I'm, I'm glad that they made up and that she accepted his apology that he apologized and that she accepted it but yeah it's just it's just a little bit baffling I just don't really know what to make of it yeah I feel like she was making movies longer than he was <laughs> like she's been yeah. acting since she was a child 100 <laughs> percent. you know anyway I, I just for for um full disclosure I am a big John Carney fan I love Sing Street I love Once I'm very much so looking forward to his new movie that's coming out uh maybe not this year depending on you know things being postponed or whatever but um, so, yeah, this was also surprising to me, but not to show my hand too much. But uh, I think the fact that they didn't get along on set shows <laughs> in this film. Um, but anyway, so just to kind of move forward into our plot discussion, I so I'm going to switch things up a little bit this week. Normally, we have the person who did not pick the film go first, um, but I would like to go first this week. Please uh, do. And I have actually started, you may have noticed, intentionally going first on my episodes because I feel like it, it, it's helpful sometimes for the person who picked it and the person who really loves the movie mm. to set the tone, especially when you're not sure what the other person thinks of it. Yeah. So, yeah, no, <laughs> well, I, I think that's a good idea. 
I, I feel like I have an idea of what you think about this movie and I'm interested to see if, if I'm, if my assumption is accurate, but I feel like I want to go first just to explain a few things. <laughs> so, okay. With, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and share my thoughts on this movie. So, um, so I picked this film obviously. Um, and I saw this movie for the first time last year, actually, it was in early 2022. And, um, I, was in a very specific, uh, very dark time in my life. Uh, the darkest place I've ever been. And I was desperate for anything that would bring sunlight into my own personal darkness. And this movie brought sunlight into my life at that time. And I think that I was just, I was the right audience member for this movie at that time. I am not the right audience member for this movie at this point in my life. Um, I, upon rewatching this, I was like, I don't even, I feel like I might need to cancel this episode. <laughs> like, because I was very, um, I, I feel like underwhelmed isn't even accurate. Part of me wants to say this is almost a bad movie. <laughs> um, I think, I, I think that, uh, Mark Ruffalo is great in this film. Um, and as I'll kind of note later when we go through critics reviews, a lot of critics also agree with me that Mark Ruffalo is kind of the person who holds this film together. Um, I think Keira Knightley is horribly miscast. Um, she is a very talented actress who I like a lot in a lot of movies and roles that she's in. This movie is not good for her. I don't believe her as Greta ever. Um, she's not a very good lip syncer at all. Uh, she can't play guitar. She can't fake that she plays Like, it's just... And this is no shame on Kira Knightley. I just think she was miscast. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to start off by saying, like, I did pick this film. I am not in love with this film. Uh, like I said, I think it's borderline a bad movie at this point. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of clarify that starting out that like, there are things to really like about this movie. I think that, I think all of the songs sung by Kira Knightley are bad because I don't think she's a good singer, but I do like the song sung by Adam Levine. Um, I think they're catchy, even though he does a lot. Um, <laughs> um, I think his songs are great. Mark Ruffalo is great. Um, I actually like James Corden in this movie. I think he's very believable as this like struggling musician wannabe producer from England in New York City. I find him very charming. Um, I, you know, New York City is, oh, I mean, I'm not a huge, I'm not romantic about New York City like a lot of people, but it is nice to see it portrayed in like a romantic night light because New York is beautiful. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, there's things to like about this movie. There's some really beautiful moments that we can talk about. Um, but overall, I think the fact that Kira Knightley is arguably the main character of this movie makes it a hard pill to swallow. Um, I think the writing isn't necessarily the best. I think Haley Steinfeld's character is kind of uncomfortably over-sexualized for her age. Um, I, you know, yeah, the writing is not... Uh, so anyway... Yeah, this could potentially be a very short episode because I don't I don't really know where we go from here. Uh, but yeah, I was obs I loved this movie the first time I saw it. It cheered me up, made me feel happy. I'm very glad I had that experience. I hope this movie can give people in that dark place the same experience. But for me, looking at it now, I'm like, wow. Uh, yeah, th this is this is rough. <laughs> so 
All that being said, Geneva, what are your thoughts on this movie? <laughs> well, I am glad that you went first because I yeah. I feel similarly to you about this movie. I I mean, I, I I'm not gonna say it's a bad movie. I, I think it's fine. Um I'm I'm mixed on it. I think there are some things that are very good about it. Like you said, Mark Ruffalo is is great in this movie, as he always is. Um I like I said, I'm a huge Kiera Knightley fan, and even though she is extremely miscast and should not have been given, you know, the important role of singing these songs and making us believe that these are songs that would capture the hearts of a jaded music producer. Yeah. Um, oh wow, you're the one. It's like, um, yeah. well, it <laughs> was really everything funny. I've heard today. Sorry, not to cut you off, but I thought it was really funny how after she gets off the stage they show another guy who plays after her and I'm like, he's a million times he better sounds than so her. Good. Yeah. He's so good. His song, good. maybe not great, but his voice, incredible. So good. And he's a really good guitar player. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I was just listing off things that I do think are nice about it. I'm, I'm mixed on the songs. I got to be honest. I've been listening to them. Uh, I've been listening to the soundtrack during work quite a bit. And I was listening to a few covers by other singers uh covering the same songs i think they are nice i think they're fine they're not to the level that i would hope for whoa, whoa, whoa. A movie like <laughs> i mean it was really hard watching this movie and not thinking of just so many movies that are doing a similar thing and in my opinion doing it better once being a huge one um i mean if you've ever seen once the song falling slowly is just it's a once in a generation like you know it it just absolutely grips your heart and your mind and you can't stop playing it you can't stop thinking about it it's just a beautiful beautiful song and I think all of the, of the songs in that movie yeah yeah I mean, yeah, I mean that's it's like like he killed it mm-hmm, yeah like what the, falling slowly is the most well-known but every single song in that movie is absolutely gorgeous and replayable and to me none of the songs in this movie really are I mean they're not bad songs I, I enjoy them but I'm not going to be adding them to my <laughs> personal playlists anytime soon um yeah I I mean there are there are like I said, this movie is fine. It's charming. There's some really sweet uh, chemistry and banter between Karen Knightley and Mark Ruffalo at different points. I, I enjoyed a lot of the scenes of them just hanging out and talking with each other. I think there's one really transcendent scene, which is the one that you quoted from, where they talk about the idea mm-hmm. of music as the, the soundtrack to daily life and how music can elevate and, you know, the the ordinary banalities of daily life into something that is transcendent you know into something that is art something that is eternal um which is a theme that i just always love especially in the media that um talks about art um i actually do really like the structure of the first third of this movie too how we see Mm -hmm. her sing the song we start out right away with her singing the song we cut you know we move over to mark ruffalo looking a little bit like he's about to murder someone (laughs) with his like sort of drunken like scraggy hair everywhere but then we cut his hair is amazing in this movie it's so good (laughs) you see it is so much of it um and then we cut to him earlier in the day and we basically follow his entire day up to that point where Mm -hmm. it's just everything is going wrong for him he's just hitting the the absolute bottom of the barrel until he hears this one song and then we cut again to Kira knightley 
several weeks before and see her journey leading up to this moment. I think that's a really cool idea for a, mm-hmm. a structure to introduce us to their lead characters. But what that idea needs is a song that is actually going to tie everything together and make yep. you believe that the, these people who are in this really delicate state in their lives are going to be drawn together inexorably by the power of music. Mm-hmm. And you need a you need a song that's that good and you need a singer who's that good. And just mm-hmm. the movie cannot supply it. Karen Knightley, talented as she is, is just not the singer who can deliver that. So yeah, like I said, very mixed. I think there are things that we can we can talk a bit about um and certainly things that we could talk about and say i like this thing but this other thing i think could have been better and maybe here are ways mm-hmm. we that the movie could have been improved but yeah uh, yeah sorry i didn't were you finished i want to no I, I was i was finishing up go ahead um yeah i really like that you brought up that structure of the opening because that's actually honestly my favorite part of the whole movie because it feels like oh we're actually doing something interesting and unique here but then you're right in that like the fault of the film begins at the end of that sequence when it's like the 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 catalyst the thing that should be really moving this story forward is not just this song but like this person who's singing it needs to have star potential that is so clear and not just star potential but like a passion for music and a passion for songwriting and I feel like this movie just says that she's a songwriter and says that she like, but I don't really see the passion. And I feel like it's just, she's just someone who writes songs. Yeah. But she doesn't strike me as someone who's like, I really want, like, I love music and this is the only way I know how to express myself. And I write music in order to feel and blah, blah, blah. It, which I get that from Mark Ruffalo, but from her, it's just very like, it just feels very robotic of like let's plug in this emotion that she needs to have and like output you know and it's really it's really unfortunate um I don't want to just like keep dogging on Kira Knightley because again like I don't think it's her performance I think it's just her casting is not right and I wonder how much because she is one of the protagonists of this movie she's such a huge role in a way she carries the film or like she should be carrying the film And I almost wonder if having the right person cast in this role would have changed the entire film. I almost feel like it could have made it like it would have taken it from a fine movie to a really good movie if they had the right person in this role. Um, So, yeah, because again, like, you know, the songs are honestly, I think pretty much all of the songs that Kira Knightley sings are just bad. Uh, But I don't know if they're bad because she's singing them <laughs> like they might be good songs if someone else sang them yeah well that's why I'm i was trying so... to look up some um covers yeah. by other singers on youtube of, of these songs and are they, they just are... like average across the board yeah it's they are better certainly with a better voice but i don't know they don't really little moments and phrases from them will stick in my head but overall they kind of sound similar to me they kind of turn into the the sort of monotone background and granted I was working while I was listening but yeah I don't get that sort of rise and fall of emotion that I get in other um movies where you know a, a songs like these need to really build and take you with them and these songs aren't doing it for me I mean it's it is such a tough comparison to live up to but you know during that scene when Mark Ruffalo is discovering her 
um, I kept thinking, comparing it to the, a similar scene in both the 1954 and the 2008 versions of A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, no one can stand up next to Judy Garland and Lady Gaga and, you know, be singing and come out looking the better. Like, it's <laughs> it's a very, very small proportion of the, the planet could who could aspire to that. But just everything about those particular scenes, the way that they're shot and framed, the performance of the, the person who's performing, and especially the song itself, is just calculated to sweep you up and help you to say oh my goodness there is something here that is just Mm -hmm. it is brand new it is um it's exciting i want to go and see what you know how far this can go this is just incredible and i don't believe at any moment that what he's seeing on that stage is something new like this is a jaded music producer who listens to 20 demos a day and throws them out probably more 100 demos and he thinks and and he thinks this one stands out from the crowd like it just no no. it doesn't it doesn't (laughs) it really doesn't yeah i mean it you know again it's like it's hard to compare any song with you know shallow or something like that but because that that's really you know there are a few songs that can kind of capture that sort of moment and capture that emotion in in one instant but yeah you know you're kind of with that gone there's this kind of gaping hole at the center of the movie and everyone is revolving around trying to create this project trying to create this album um which also the the concept of the album is not that interesting the fact that everyone's like oh my gosh you're recording on the streets of new york okay can i just say i I am no music producer. It's not this revolutionary idea that like no. No, no one's ever thought of this before. Like I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that have done it before. Yes. And also that is a great way to get really annoying sirens in the background. Like this is New York. You're going to have people barging in. You're going to have sirens going on. You're going to have cranes. Like you're not going to get a good sound out of that. Like it just doesn't. You're, you're really going to have to do dozens and dozens of takes of these songs. It just does not seem like a good idea if you're low, limited on budget and limited on time. I will say that's not an issue that I take with the film in the sense that I do feel like this movie is kind of a fairy tale. And it is kind of just about like the thing that I really loved about it the first time that I am still able to appreciate about it this time is that like this movie is really just about the love of music and how music is magical and music can take you somewhere else. And if anything, I think that music should be the protagonist of this film. And so I don't mind this idea of like, oh, we want to go out and we want to make something beautiful and we're not going to deal with the practicalities of the real world because it doesn't matter. Like this is a fairy tale about the beauty of music. So we're not going to be like, oh, well, there's a siren. We got to Let's get in and, you know, edit it out or whatever. So I don't mind that as much. The thing that I struggle struggle with is this concept of like, this album is supposed to be this original magical idea that gets Mark Ruffalo back into the room of his studio and draws their attention and helps them like restore their faith in him. But the idea of the concept of the album is not a good, it's not that it's not a good idea, but it's not a, it's not not a revolutionary idea. It's just like, let's record it in the streets of New York. And so for me, that's the struggle. Like, I, I understand you want this to be a fantasy story. So come up with a fantastical idea. But this is not a fantastical idea. <laughs> yeah. um, so. And maybe it would work, too, if um, 
if we if Mark Ruffalo's character is not a highly experienced music producer, mm-hmm. if this is people coming together who have never are not professionals, have never really done this before, and we can more get this invested as a really ground up, um, you know, people just trying to come together for a creative project and and figure yeah. things out, but. The fact that he is supposedly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> a highly experienced uh, producer who has his own record label that he founded. And he discovered CeeLo Green and won Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a little distracting. And the fact that we have, you know, James Corden's character kind of helping out and we see he's this guy like... He's got this makeshift apartment where he's like, oh, yeah, I almost have enough room for people to come in and record stuff. It's like, just have him be the, you know, let's make this a friendship story between, oh, my gosh, this friend, she, you know, got dumped by her famous boyfriend and she bumps into her other, like, British friend in, on the streets of New York. And all of a sudden, they're both, like, down on their luck and they're like, let's make an album. You know, that, anyway. I would I love that. I yeah. mean, like, and I, I agree, by the way, with what you said earlier, that I really like James Corden in He's this movie. He's charming in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, I generally find him, when he actually acts in movies and plays a character, I actually find him a very, very charming, likable presence. You know, there's a reason he's got a Tony. He's a really talented performer. He's mm-hmm. just very annoying in his, <laughs> when he's <laughs> playing himself. But um, yeah, I, I really like him in the, the movie. I love the friendship between the two of them. It's It's very sweet. Yeah. So I don't want to just like, like I said, this very well could be a very short episode. Um, So I don't, for for the sake of people, not that anyone really listens to our podcast, but like (laughs) for the sake of people who may be listening to this that really do like this movie, I don't want to just like shit on it, you know, because there are good things here. So maybe let's take a little bit of time just to talk about like any aspects that we liked about it. I mean, obviously it sounds like both of us found James Corden to be pretty charming in this film. Um, we both liked Mark Ruffalo's performance. Um, is there, is there anything else here of note that you are like, yeah, I, I really liked that aspect of this movie. Um, I mean, I already talked a little bit about um, when she's not singing. <laughs> I do really like Keira <laughs> Knightley and I like her chemistry with Mark Ruffalo, the, the two of them. I like the fact that, um, you know, I, I think this movie does kind of fall into cliche in certain ways, but I, I do like the way that they resolve the the main relationships. Um, Mark Ruffalo being able to reconcile with his his wife and his um, his child, and Karen Knightley not reconciling with Adam Levine and going off to be on a musician on her own. I like the fact that there is no romance between Karen Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. They never kiss. There's never any suggestion of it. It's just purely a a friendship and a kind of temporary relationship between two like-minded creative people. I think that's very refreshing. I find it interesting that you say that because again, sorry, not to go down this route, but another complaint that I have with this movie, which I honestly had the first time that I watched it is I feel like for the most part, this movie, the relationship is platonic, but there's a certain part of it where they hint that it might not be. And I'm like, why do we need this? We don't need this. It's basically at the end of that, which I I want to talk about this sequence quite a bit because it's my favorite sequence in the movie, but it's at the end of that long sequence where the two of them kind of spend their night walking through New York City, listening t- uh, to music through their headphones from this like splitter and um, they get back to the apartment and it's just the two of them there and they're both kind of like fiddling their keys and staring at each other and then because James Corden walks in, they're both like, oh, oh my gosh, like, thank God you came back. Like who knows what could have happened. And I feel like there is a hint there that, which 
is not me necessarily saying that like, oh, this was a story where they were meant to fall in love, but it could have been something where it's like, oh, all of a sudden something happened. And then the next morning they're like, it was a mistake. We should have never done it. And I feel like there is a hinting at the potential, like that that would have happened if James Corden's character had not come home. And I wish that that moment hadn't been there because it happens and then James Corden comes in and then automatically they're back to friends. It's like, oh, hey, look at your boyfriend on the computer. And then she's like, oh, man, that sucks. And then he's like, she's a rock. He's a rock star, baby. Like, what do you expect? And then he walks out the door. So it's this weird moment where they have this like, will we or won't we? Should we? Oh, probably not. But like it's happening. And then all of a sudden it's like, nope, we're friends again. And I'm like, why? Why did we need that? But nah, <laughs> I don't, yeah, so the- maybe you didn't pick up on that, but I definitely felt that. No, I, I I did pick up on it. Honestly, it's such a, sh- a small moment that I kind of so forgot brief. that it happened. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't I need to be there. <laughs> I don't mind it too much, just because I feel like I feel like that sort of confusion and sort of like there is a moment where it could have gone one way and then it ends up going another is realistic for this kind of very short, intense relationship between two attractive people. Like I believe mm-hmm. there would be a kind of you know you spend one night walking all over New York City listening to romantic music with someone and then you get back and for a second you're like wait are we uh, we like each other what, what's going on and then it's like <laughs> are we doing this <laughs> yeah and then and you know some life intervenes and you snap back into it and you're like no that's not what we are but I mm-hmm. I can believe that there would be at least a moment where there's the question and then they're like no that's that's not what we're doing yeah yeah um so just to go into like that that sequence a little bit though that was my that was the most memorable part of the film that I kind of took with me after watching it the first time that that sequence of them first of all her not knowing what a splitter is is weird to me I'm like this is 2013 that struck me as well why do you not you're a musician like why do you not know what this is it was such a clear we need to explain this for the audience who may not know what this splitter is yeah and also splitter is also, Mark Ruffalo saying like, oh, yeah, this is the thing that me and my wife used on our first date 18 years ago. I'm like, I don't think those types of headphone splitters existed 18 years. I mean, I don't know the history of technology, but part of me is like, I don't know. Was that a thing? I don't know when we're um, I mean, headphones have been around since the early part of the 20th century. I think I feel like they probably would have figured out how to split them before this. But who knows? Maybe. I don't know. Either way, uh, the fact that she didn't know what it was and she's a a musician who has a uh, boyfriend of five years who's a recording artist. I'm like, girl, what? Um, (laughs) But anyway, that whole sequence I love. I love that idea of there's this moment where he asks to listen to her music and, and she's like, no, no, no. And then he goes, you can tell a lot about a person by their playlist, which I 100% agree on, which is why I'm obsessed with like learning about the music that other people listen to or if I want people to get to know me it's like okay I want to show you you know my favorite music and things like that it's such a such a special way to get to know people and um because music just brings out a vulnerable honest side of ourselves that might not be you know represented elsewhere and so the fact that that kind of snowballs into this really beautiful sequence of the two of them just walking around and exploring and bonding over their favorite songs and just feeling the feels that music makes you feel in this beautiful city and then they go dancing and then you know um 
I just thought it was really great. And it's honestly something that like, you know, it's a classic movie scene where you have that response, at least for me, that response of like, I want to have this experience someday. Like maybe I should buy a splitter and just carry it around with me for when the opportunity presents itself. I mean, it sounds like an amazing first date. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I live in Chicago. Let's just sneak into a nightclub behind the bouncer's back and go dancing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But also you'd have to be cranking your music real loud to not like hear. uh, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, unless you have really good noise canceling headphones, but, um, or if you sneak into one of those silent clubs, that'd be fun. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I really loved that sequence. Uh, I'm assuming you liked it too? Question mark. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, like I said, I think to me, the best part of the movie is that conversation that we alluded to earlier of them as they're sitting on a bench and they're talking about the, the power of music to elevate everyday life. But even just the the scenes that come before it, there's just, I mean, like I said, the the chemistry between the two of them is very naturalistic, very sweet. It seems Hmm. like there was maybe a lot of, I can't tell if it was a lot of improv or just them being pretty good at making things seem seem like improv. Um, Mm -hmm. But there were just some little exchanges and moments and um, them kind of making each other laugh that just seemed very in the moment and I really enjoyed I do think one of the issues with this movie overall is just a a general lack of conflict (laughs) or Mm. in in any sense the the kind of little conflict that does exist is not it it doesn't strike me as being it strikes me as being a bit artificial Mm -hmm. um but it makes up for it in having scenes like this that are just kind of extended hangout with people who are generally very likable, um, enjoying themselves, getting to know each other, getting to know music and, and thinking and talking about music. And I I think that's where this movie's strengths really lie. I find it I find it so interesting that you um that you really feel a chemistry between Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley. I just I, I, again, no hate to Kira Knightley. I really like her a lot. She's really bad in this movie. Like, I don't... I well, don't... she doesn't really have a character, is I think the issue. I yes, cannot honestly, get a yes. handle on who this person is supposed to be at all. Yeah. And I think a lot of the moments that I really like her in this movie are moments where it feels like this is just the two actors kind of hanging out and Mm -hmm. enjoying each other's company. I mean, you know, not saying that's what it was, but the, the, the character of Greta herself is not very distinct. And I think that's a huge flaw in this movie. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that also harbor hampers her performance in addition to the, the performances. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. That was, that was a mental note that I made while watching the movie yesterday that I forgot, but yes, she just feels like she's not, she's not really a fully fleshed out character. She's just kind of someone who is there to propel the story. And, um, I feel like I'm more, sorry, go ahead. Well, it's just, I, she is so She's inconsistent to me because she Hmm. is so, you know, as you mentioned before about this idea that we really want to follow someone who is passionate about her music and she's just not. She is so retiring and laid back and she doesn't really put herself forward when she's with her boyfriend and they are supposedly partners when she's playing the music with um, 
with James Corden or with anyone else. She's kind of she's very sort of ambivalent about it. She's just like, I just write songs, but you know, she never well, represents herself as a musician. But she's also so opinionated about music and about the recording industry and about um other things. And I just I find it very confusing how she could have been a partner to Adam Levine's character for so long and yet still feel like she doesn't really have an you know any sort of sense of her own identity as a musician I feel like the tone is really set that first time that her and Mark Ruffalo talk when we're introduced to her character or I guess the two of them together when she kind of goes through this whole thing where she's like you know, I don't really care about being famous. I'm not really that good of a songwriter. I'm not really like, you want to sign me? I don't want to be signed. Like, I'm just kind of doing my thing. And I feel like there's a way that it was supposed to be portrayed. And then there's the way it actually came across. And I think the way it was supposed to be portrayed is like, it's this girl who has ambition, but she's not really confident in her abilities because she's been overshadowed by her boyfriend and people don't really see the value in her. And so her like, her faith in her abilities has been shaken. And so she's coming from this kind of like, like nervous place of like, uh, I don't, I just, I don't want to put myself out there because I've been hurt because people don't appreciate what I make. And I think that that was the intention, but how it came across was, no, you really just don't care about yeah. like, like you don't care about your songwriting. You don't think that you're good. You don't really mm-hmm. want to be famous. You, like all of these things yeah. that you're saying it seems like that's actually what you mean as opposed to like this kind of subtext behind it. And because at least for me, that's how it came across. And that's kind of when we're first introduced to her character, it sets this tone throughout the rest of the movie for me of, I don't actually really care about this. And it feels more like a very casual hobby that other people are trying to motivate her to care about. And it doesn't actually pay off. And I feel like, you know, even in that sequence when, you know, she, uh, I don't remember the exact scenario of what leads up to this, but um, maybe he wins an award or something, but James Corden kind of pushes her like, no, you need to write a breakup song and like, mm-hmm. you know, leave a voicemail on his phone about it. And I'm like, okay, he's forcing you to do that. And then you write it. And then even when you're sitting there and singing it, like the way James Corden is playing the piano was like, yeah, fuck him. Like, blah. And then she's just kind of like, it's just like the sweetest little song ever with her like, very thin voice it it does not it's not well, a, a fuck well, you song the way she says that it is yeah I mean I feel like James Corden is giving that energy but for you for for her it's just like yeah you broke all the rules and I was a fool and <laughs> yeah. whatever and then at the end of the movie as well we have this thing where like they're offered a record deal which whatever but <laughs> but then she decides like no I'm going to release this album for free on the internet because I love music so much and I want people to be able to have this for free. And I'm like, girl, you don't strike me as someone who is like, you know, I love music so much that I want to give this freely to to people who also love music so much. It's just kind of like, let's release it for free online. Okay. You know, I just, she seems very ambivalent to me. And mm-hmm. and maybe ambivalent is even too strong of a word. She just seems like she doesn't care. Like, <laughs> well, there's no arc for her character. She starts and ends. She she gains opportunities, but she doesn't really change as a person or as a musician. Um, it would have been great to have an arc where 
you know, she starts out in this place of being unsure of herself because she's been overshadowed by her boyfriend for so long. She's really talented, but she doesn't recognize it. And she gains confidence because Mark Ruffalo has this confidence in her. That's not really what happens. She's just, you know, kind of, you know, thinks her music is good, but also doesn't really care all that much, but also is very dismissive of the recording industry and the idea of being a musician at all. And then that's kind of how she ends the movie. Like, I don't get the impression when this movie ends that she's ever going to make music ever again. I get the impression that she's just going to go off professionally. Yeah. Like, she's just going to go do something else. She's just going to be like, okay, that was the thing that happened. I guess I'm going to go like get a degree in accounting or something, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it it really feels like the moment where Adam Levine invites her to his um, uh, concert. And she sees all of these people singing along with this song that she wrote is supposed to be a really emotional turning point for her. And I don't really see that it is, you know, it's like the movie frames it as being her realizing something about herself or what she wants. And the fact that she chooses to leave rather than go up on stage with him, which I was not expecting. And I I did like that choice. But then it just kind of felt like a choice out of nowhere with no real repercussions. Yeah, I don't. I don't really understand why she didn't do it. Like why she didn't go on stage. I feel like for me being an audience member who doesn't actually live in this world, I'm like, okay, the way that natural stories go, I can, I can assume that the reason she didn't do it is because she gets to this place where she's finally understood that like, I don't need you in my life. I'm going to go be an independent person, but that's me making that up. I don't feel like the movie is actually communicating that the movie is just like, okay, I'm not going to go on stage. And because of other things I've seen, I'm kind of assuming that that's what's going on in the back of her mind. But I don't think the movie actually portrays that. Um, I will say I do actually like the song Lost Stars. Um, I think that it is absolutely hilarious when he plays for her the original recording that he made, which is so bad. He's like, everyone's going crazy for this. I'm like, it really it's it's terrible (laughs) like it's so fast it sounds like you're yodeling because it's like it's just there's so much like electronic you know oh my gosh things added to it it's just it's awful it's it's like hilariously bad i did find it really hilarious like the different demos that mark ruffalo was listening to too and just Mm -hmm. how terrible some of the lyrics were like they create these bad songs on purpose so he can throw them out the window of his car Mm-hmm. also that's littering don't do that um <laughs> but yeah I, I will say though I do like Lost Stars when we get the acoustic the version at the end I wish that it had stayed acoustic it starts to build a little bit more and then they bring in the drums and the whatever and I'm like I just it needs to just be Adam Levine singing slowly while strumming an acoustic guitar that is what this song is can we just let it B, which I think was the beauty of not again not to compare this to falling slowly but like that song is we're sitting here we have a piano and we have a guitar that's it and it's great Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think that this movie I think it just struggles with not struggles with but it suffers from I think having a bigger budget and trying to be something bigger. It's got bigger stars. It has a bigger budget. And I don't know it's if it was John. It's shiny. It's more polished. Um, than- yeah. I don't know if it was John Carney. I don't know if it was the production company, but there definitely feels like there was some sort of pressure to make this something that was going to be big. Because even if 
you like you go from once which is a very 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 low budget indie film to this movie which had a budget of eight million dollars with names and faces that we know pretty much all of the names and faces were people that we knew including CeeLo Green and Adam Levine who were huge at this time and then um but then after this we go into Sing Street which is people that no one knows and a smaller budget and all of those things and I really think that that's where he thrives when it's like let's just make the music and the people the center of this without having all of this external you know extra stuff that doesn't need to be there to kind of just like add fluff that we don't need you know um but anyway yeah I was saying let's talk about things we like about this movie and I feel like we keep shitting on it but (laughs) um um I do agree that Lost Stars is probably the best song in the film I'm not I'm not crazy about it but i i think it's the best um in in the film um very curious actually mm-hmm. <laughs> before we you know pivot back to things that we really like um mm-hmm. just curious to get your opinion on adam levine's performance in this mm. movie i will say up front i'm not really a big fan of adam levine's voice um like mm-hmm. even just his style of singing he is he is a good singer you know and it is really nice to have someone who has that kind of more rock star charisma you know doing these performances like i believe him in this role i don't think his acting performance is great i don't think it's terrible um there are just little moments where he'll he'll have these conversations with kira knightley where he really needs to get vulnerable and he just he's not there you know so yeah curious your your thoughts though yeah i mean i honestly dislike kira knightley's performance so much in this movie that i feel like anything else looks good next to her like I seriously cannot stand her performance I don't believe any of it she's not a good singer she's not good at faking singing she can't play guitar like everything she can't like she's she's walking down the street and like dancing like this is her favorite song and she's not good at dancing I don't like everything about her is just like not good in this movie to me that Adam Levine I'm like I believe you as a rock star I believe like you're good at playing guitar because you play guitar. You're good at singing because you play singing. You're good at like acting like a rock star because you are one. Acting like and a so, yeah. I mean, he is in real life. He does kind of suck, but which is why I was surprised he didn't. He said he didn't want to get paid for this movie, but um, but yeah. I mean, I didn't. Is he a top class actor? No, but did I overwhelmingly dislike his performance? No, I think um. I, I think he's almost kind of a cartoon character in this movie. I mean, the fact that over the course of like a few months, he goes from like no facial hair to this weird, creepy mustache to the most ridiculous beard I've ever the seen beard in my is life. Insane! It, it is, is so absolutely thick and it's so fake looking. Ridiculous! Like the shape of it is wild. The th- like it's just bad. I think they do it on purpose. It's like crazy. Um, so I think he's almost seen as this kind of like cartoon character that is just, I don't know. Um, so I, I didn't mind him. He wasn't distracting to me in terms of like, oh my gosh, I can't get over how bad he is because sometimes musicians are in things and I can't stand it. Like Ed Sheeran in Game of Thrones, for (laughs) for example, I'm like, why are you here? You are not a good actor. Like what is happening? Um, or Harry Styles acting in my policeman. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is really bad. 
Um, so I think he was convincing enough. And I think the role made sense for what he was trying to do. Like if he was cast as the boyfriend who wasn't the boyfriend who's also a rock star, it would have been a problem. But the fact that he was a boyfriend who was also a rock star worked for me. So, yeah. This is a side note, but throughout the movie, I just kept thinking, I mean, A, we should be more open to bringing back dubbing when you you absolutely need a movie star in a role, but the movie star needs to be able to sing. Um, Like, just, just, just dub them. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but yeah. I just kept thinking, and I don't know where she was in her career at this point point exactly i mean i think she she was certainly popular i don't know if she would have been open to acting at, at this point but this role should have been played by sarah Bareilles, or at least get sarah Bareilles mm. to, to dub her voice and maybe help Ooh, her write her the voice songs. would have gone well with right? these songs she yeah. has the same look as kira knightley mm-hmm. um and she's an extremely talented singer songwriter she has a beautiful voice she can also act she's done broadway um she was since she was known at this time. I mean, her... Oh, yeah, she I definitely mean, was. Yeah. I just don't know whether she would have been in the sort of same circles or profile to potentially get cast in this movie. But, yeah, it was just very distracting because I was like, why is she not in this movie? <laughs> I, hadn't, I think Waitress came out before before this. I don't Waitress, know. Waitress, the movie did. Wait, wait, I feel like Waitress, the Broadway show, is maybe a couple years later, but I, I could be wrong about that. I, sorry, I love Sarah Bareilles. Yeah, Sarah Bareilles is great. I, I'm more of a fan of her Broadway stuff than her pop stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to watch this movie again because then I'm just going to be frustrated that Sarah Bareilles wasn't <laughs> cast in the role. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I was I was going to say earlier, though, like when we were talking, I, again, you know, not to continue shitting on her performance, but this is why, and I, I feel very passionate about passionately about this as someone who really loves movie musicals, it is so important to cast people who can sing and not just people who are movie stars, or if you need to cast someone who's a movie star, dubbing them with someone who can sing, because there is so much about storytelling that a good singer can convey while singing. And Keira Knightley, again, I think she's a very talented actress. I love seeing her in things, but her voice just does not have the strength and the training and the capacity to convey storytelling through the songs that she's singing. And so when she's singing that breakup song over the phone, you don't feel any of the emotion that is supposed to be going into it and that they later talk about as having been put into that song. Whereas you, if you have someone who has that training, and it is, so much of it is just training, you know, it's it, not absolutely everyone can learn it, but a lot of people can if they put in the time or if you allow them to put in the time. But for whatever reason, they just decided not to cast someone who has that training or has that capacity. And so much of the, the, the storytelling of this movie is lost because you don't have that added element. Yeah, I, I feel so bad constantly comparing this to Once. But I mean, they're made by the same director. Um, but- uh, Once was continually running through my mind when I was watching this movie. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with the song from that movie uh, or play or musical. However, whichever version you're more aware of. Yeah, but but Say It To Me Now is one of like the most heart-wrenching breakup songs ever written, really. Like it, oh, it's just, it's so good. And then thinking about that breakup song, which is literally like, Glenn Hansard screaming his heart out and then to this where it's like you have broke the one rule and I'm a fool I'm like oh 
oh my god like I just have her be a poet or something instead and just do spoken word like you know that would be interesting because I I believe Kira Knightley could deliver like a heartfelt you know poetry slam you know like because she's a good actress she could whip it out and be like hey like fuck you man like I'm gonna tell you through poetry well then you just got the movie music and lyrics which is a movie that I really adore (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so you know I think it's just she's just miscast I'm trying to find this one review that I saw on letterboxd yesterday let me see if I can find it real quick it was um Oh, this one. It says, I love Kira Knightley, but she does not belong in the modern world. And this is proof. <laughs> and I kind of agree with that. I yeah. don't, she isn't really in many movies like post 1900s. I feel like, like she's, <laughs> she's doing some. more and more. She's I think she's some, kind of but... trying to pivot away. But um, yeah, it, it is a little strange. Although I will say actually one, one genuine wholehearted compliment that I have about this movie. I love the costume design for this movie and I specifically hmm. love the wardrobe that they give Kira Knightley in it. I, her style is just so relaxed and cute and casual and I just want to wear every single thing that she wears in this movie. Her little um like pleated pants with the rolled up hem and then the um the loafers underneath and all the little cut off um like linen shirts that she wears and her uh her shirt dresses with prints like they're yeah, love it. Absolutely adorable. I don't not to disagree with you, but I guess to disagree with you, I don't think it goes with her character. I think that... What character, though? <laughs> well, I'm I'm talking about, like, the character that is supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know? Like, maybe it works with this character that's kind of here of just, like, okay, I don't really care about anything, so I'll just, like, throw something on and it looks good, I guess. I just feel like the the character that she should have been, which is, like, this... this songwriter who has a passion for music or whatever I feel like she should look like a geeky little artist person who's like kind of awkward and weird but like has potential there for being this like cool artist but doesn't know how to bring it out it's funny that you say that because she's her style is actually giving to me Taylor Swift of the same era which I love Taylor Swift's style in this era but it's also a very different um maybe not what you want to go for for this particular character but anyway interesting yeah I I actually just remember watching this movie and I had the exact opposite thought I was like I don't like her clothes <laughs> like why why is she wearing no, I this? love them all <laughs> um but okay so again like I feel like we need to stop if we stop talking about Kira Knightley we'll be able to talk yeah. about some positive well, let's, things let's but talk more about Mark Ruffalo and that's what his, I was just gonna say yeah because yeah, his, his style his style is like <laughs> perfect for his character and it works it works and it's so great just pants and t-shirts that look like they were picked up off the floor and maybe a blazer over top with his crazy hair and he's always got these cigarette props like you know and he's got the sunglasses smoking a blunt like every other scene of this movie I don't I don't I can't tell if it's a blunt or if it's a cigarette but he's always smoking something um but I just think his look overall works like Mm -hmm. and the fact that we see it change you know like when I think it's the first time him and Keira Knightley get together to actually record or something he's got a suit on you know but it's like it's like a weird rock star music producer type of suit but you know it's like him showing up you know and I just I I felt like he was a character that felt complete and had some sort of evolution and we saw that reflected in his wardrobe um yeah, I, I think he's great in this movie. I, I totally 
believe him as this, you know, washed up, has been, you know, record producer who loves music. I mean, he he breathes music. You can tell he loves it and he's heartbroken that of with the way the industry is changing and no one cares about real music anymore. You know, he's Ryan Gosling screaming about jazz in La La Land. Oh my Land. gosh, like, no wonder um, you loved it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I believe him. And it was really nice to have a character in this movie where I felt like they were real and I believed who they were and they weren't just like a person that was put there just to be there, you know? What do you think about his relationship with Haley Steinfeld, his, his daughter, and then his his guess not ex-wife estranged wife yeah um because you also, mentioned she's a little she's a little too over sexualized for our taste which is kind of a plot point in the movie but also not just not great yeah i i will say i do really like katherine keener um i don't it's not that i don't like her in this movie i feel like she's very um what's the word i'm looking for like she's not really given the opportunity to shine in this movie she's just kind of the hateful you know ex-partner who cheated who you know I don't know yeah she kind of feels like an afterthought to me yeah interesting that you use that word because I I did like how I like the turn that the movie takes where the first at least for me maybe you know seeing this for the first time my first assumption was um maybe Maybe Mark Ruffalo cheated, maybe not. Maybe he's just because of his alcoholism, like, is the issue. But thinking that the issue, the original issue was him and his issues, and that's why they're not together. And then you get the turn of actually she was the one who cheated, and his whole downward spiral was a reaction to that. And so it it puts them in this really interesting um, position where she's kind of scolding him for not showing up for their daughter, which is legit, but at the same time, she is also the one in the wrong. I don't know. I I, I wasn't expecting that particular dynamic between them, so I I kind of found it interesting. Um, And then just the idea of, like, she found someone she thought she wanted to be with, and then he ghosted her, and so she's kind of living in this sort of limbo of regret and seeing the damage her actions have caused while also trying to hold things together. I don't know. I She, you know, she's a person who has obviously made a really horrible mistake and has really hurt the her husband, but I also had a some level of sympathy for her. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like that plot point and that plot detail. I just don't feel like we actually see that happen. We hear it talked about and described through Mark Ruffalo's character. But as far as like actually having screen time with her, where we really get to see that play out and see that dynamic between the two of them, for me, it doesn't feel like it's there. We just have to infer it by the fact that she has the bushiest hair of all time <laughs> that she apparently never comes. Yes. <laughs> um but yeah, I that's what I mean. Like I feel like she's very under she's underused. I feel like she's almost wasted in this film because I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of good ideas here that they could have that they could have really actually been like, hey Catherine, let's bring you in and really, you know, act this out and teach us this about your character. But it's just kind of like Nope. I'm just like, okay, cool. <laughs> um but yeah, as far as um as far as Haley Steinfeld I mean I do like her dynamic with her dad I I just have a soft spot in general for father-daughter relationships in in any sort of story really um but 
I do feel like I, I don't like her relationship with with Greta um, because I don't like this idea. I don't it's not that I don't like it. I don't believe that Greta was like there for five seconds and then she's like, oh, that boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. He definitely likes you. And you know how to get him to like you play hard to get. Like, she really falls all, into that like cool older sister dynamic in like zero to 60. And it's it's a lot. Playing hard to get is terrible advice. It does not work. And then also, I just don't like how she basically tells her, like, yeah, you look easy. You know, it's like, you don't tell that to, what, a 15, 16-year-old, however old she is. You don't just be like, yeah, the way you're dressing looks makes you look easy. Like, you got to give them something to, I'm like, the the way, I understand the message that you're getting at, but the way that you're saying it is body shaming and I'm not here for it but then Haley Steinfeld's like oh yeah you're so wise she's got like these these bright starred eyes for this older this older woman who's like cool but like whatever and you know and then I also don't like this idea of like oh we're girls we like shopping let's go shopping I'm like ugh, barf but um I don't know and I actually one thing I do really like about the movie which then I feel like it doesn't pay off the joke, which I'm kind of bummed about. But I love this conversation between Mark Ruffalo's character and Catherine Keener where where she's like, she sucks at guitar. And he's like, but uh, no, like she's kind of good, right? And then she's like, no, she's awful at guitar. And he's like, But then she okay. actually is good later. Then she's so actually it good. It doesn't which, like, pay off. As someone who plays guitar... Haley Steinfeld also not very good at like fake playing this moderately okay guitar solo. But I, I was very bummed that they kind of set like they set up that joke and then it didn't pay off. Cause I'm like, if her mom actually heard her playing in the other room, she wouldn't be like, Oh yeah, she sucks at guitar. Like obviously she's, she's capable of playing, you know? Um, but I thought that moment between the two of them was funny. I wish it had paid off, but it didn't. Yeah. That was, that was a good moment. Yeah, we all knew she was going to show up and, and be great. But, you know, it's just one of those things where, again, me as a guitar player and like seeing how she plays, like she's not just doing, you know, C, G, A chords. Like she's moving up and down the neck in order to do that and know how scales work and all of those things. Like you have to be better than bad at guitar. <laughs> like, like you have to be at least average, like, you know. Um, but anyway, um yeah. Yeah. That yeah. actually kind of, because um, you mentioned before seeing this movie as something of a fairy tale mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that sort of magical element of her showing up and sort of being really good at guitar and being able to pick up that song really easily. I don't know if they gave her music ahead of time, but that actually kind of segues into a discussion that I feel like the two of us should have. We've had several times off mic already, but um, that we talked about maybe having on mic for this particular movie, which is... What is a musical and is this movie a musical? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let, let's maybe we should go into that and then use that to end the episode because I feel like everything else I have to say is just like repeating, <laughs> just repeating things yeah. that I don't like about it. So sounds good. Yeah, go for it. Oh, I'll let sure. you introduce the topic because you're the one that this is really relevant for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's just to say, you know, I, I, I love movie musicals. I have a very strict definition of what I will call a movie musical, which not everyone agrees with, and that's completely fine. Um, but for me to 
qualify as a movie musical, there needs to be an element of magic and fantasy. Um, so, you know, in, in the traditional movie musical, that would be characters suddenly bursting out into song in the midst of their everyday life and music suddenly plays from the background and everyone suddenly knows a choreographed dance. Um, you know, that's um, kind of the traditional form it can take. There are also... Um, like the earliest form of musicals, the sort of Busby Berkeley 1930s backstage musicals, even though those are technically um, <clears throat> all the songs are taking place for real within the reality of the movie because they're songs that are taking place within the context of its stage show. There still is that element of fantasy because the in the Busby Ber Berkeley musicals, the uh, songs they're performing are just insane <laughs> and they suddenly they're supposedly taking place on a theater stage but all of a sudden it's opening up into this gigantic warehouse where there's like you know four foot high uh structure of just women like standing there twirling around and then um like insane amounts of water is flowing down from the waterfall and all these sorts of things um but all it is to say is yeah to me to qualify as a musical something has to be a fantasy and a movie like this or you know uh, i don't know a musical biopic or um you know like your your um your bohemian rhapsody as much as i hate to <laughs> invoke that movie at any time um or even a star is born is kind of on on the line for me there are certain elements of it where it's a little bit fantastical for, but for the most part the songs are played within the reality of the movie to me, that is a drama with songs or a drama about musicians. It's not a musical. But many people disagree with me. Tatum, I know, disagrees with me. So well, curious to hear your thoughts on this. I also just think that there's holes in your definition. I mean, I think you would consider Cabaret to be a musical. This is true. This is true. We've that, talked about this. Yeah, I think you also would consider like Chicago to be a musical. And those are things where it's like the songs are happening within the truth of the story like so by your definition they're not magical so they therefore shouldn't be a musical mm -hmm. but you still consider them to be musicals so honestly like for me before I was friends with you this was not something I ever thought about <laughs> I I like musicals but I it's not something where I sit down and think about like what do I consider a musical versus not a musical because for me I'm just like okay there's music in it great and I either like it or I don't and so it's definitely something that like, I, I, to me, I'm like, yeah, this is a musical or it's not a musical. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, I just, it's, it's not something that's particularly relevant to me. So I don't have like, I, I'm more. You don't have just, a 10 page developed yeah, no, thesis like, I on think, this? <laughs> I think it's interesting to talk about it with you in the sense that like, trying to understand your definition because I don't think that yours universally makes sense. So I try and understand your definition of it. I don't really have one of my own, nor do I really care to form one. Um, but yeah, so I just like to pick your brain about it. But yeah. <laughs> yes. I will say in defense of my position regarding those two specifically, Chicago, I think, can fit a little bit more neatly because the musical numbers are literally fantasy. So there is that fantasy element. It's just that the fantasy is kept distinct from the real world. And I think in Cabaret, just the fant fantastical element comes in the way, how perfectly the songs are juxtaposed with what is happening in the lives of the characters. And so there is that kind of magical realism just in the sense that the 
music is speaking to the real world and vice versa. That yeah. is a pretty weak counter argument, I will admit. But again, like it doesn't. It, it all it, makes sense in my head. It makes no difference to me. But you know, you, I think about things. Yeah, it's just it's it's interesting because I think yeah. there's you know if I were to really rack my brain about it, there's probably lots of other movies that you would consider musicals. Yeah, none of this actually matters. The only time that it actually has any relevance for my life is when I see a list of movie music like best movie musicals. I'm like, that's not a musical. But, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think this movie is going to be on any of those. Things, so. <laughs> That's true. So. <laughs> so I think we're in the clear. Yeah, crisis averted. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to say, like, again, I am a huge John Carney fan. Um, I don't want anyone who's listening to this. I don't want this to, like, taint your impression of John Carney. Please go watch his other movies. Once is very good. Sing Street is great. It's really charming. I've been meaning um, to watch Sing Street for a long yeah, time. Yeah, Sing things. Street is really good. Um, it doesn't. The songs don't have the same oomph as Once because I think Once is a is a is a miracle that it even existed. I don't think anyone's gonna, you know, I, I don't. He 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 peaked with his first film musically. It's not it's not his first film, but his first. It is funny how like what a like strong because he he had. At least one, if not more, films before once. But like with once, his he really found his lane as a director of movies with music, and that's just such a strong thoroughfare in his directorial output. Yeah. Is there anything? Is there anything else? Like any other? Mainly any other positive things to say about? <laughs> like I want to end. Well, on the a... one positive thing I brought up, you completely shit on, which is the the costume. Which one? Just kidding. The costuming. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. I was like trying to be so positive, and you're just like, no. Well, I mean, if you like it, that's fine. Like, yeah. I love that it's a highlight for you, and I like Mark Ruffalo's costuming. It's just Kira Knightley's. I was like, it doesn't make sense for your character, but then I loved your response of like, what character? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> the one I've made up in my head. Yeah. Um, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, um, I feel like there's got to be more positive things that we can say about it. I mean, like I said, it is it is pretty charming. It is you know generally enjoyable. Obviously, it spoke to you in a really difficult time in your life, and a, a movie that is without worth cannot do that like there there is something there if it can speak to to people it's a really Um, it's a really feel-good movie that if mm -hmm. you're in a place where you just need like a peaceful fun little world to go into but you also don't have the mental capacity or don't even or just don't want to think deeply about what you're looking at you just want to be in the world and (laughs) and be with the vibes and have a good time Mm -hmm. This movie has good vibes. That's the thing. It has yes. good vibes. If you just if you just go in for the feels and go in for the vibes and that's it, you won't be disappointed. It it's very pleasant. It's a pleasant ride. It's mm-hmm. not like I came out of this movie and I'm like, "Ugh, that was a miserable time." It was just like, you know, as a as a movie, it might not be the best written, the best whatever, <laughs> blah blah blah, but like as a vibe, it delivers, you know, yeah. and I think that was the place I was in the first time I watched it, and it delivered big time for me. It it felt it felt magical for me the first time I watched it because I really connected with the magical aspect of music, the way that music it helped me feel things the way that only music can, you know, and uh, I was very grateful for it at the time, and it was a beautiful experience. So um, I just think it's a movie for if if that's the type of vibe that you need put this on mm-hmm. you know yeah but only after you've seen once and sing street <laughs> right watch um, those two first and then watch yeah watch those one. two first honestly if you want to watch a john carney movie for the vibes 
that are just going to take you to a good place, watch Sing Street. That like, because that, that movie does everything that this movie does, but better. So I wouldn't say go to Once because Once is a little bit more like, it's a little bit more sad and heavy and things like that. So you don't really go to Once for the happy vibes, you know, but Sing Street you go to for the happy vibes. Um, So there you go. Yeah. So I guess, uh, what are we saying? Don't watch this movie. <laughs> if you want to watch this movie, go watch this other one instead. <laughs> Don't not watch this movie, but you know, here are some other ones to consider if you have not already seen them. Yeah. I will say though, I, I was, I kind of liked having an episode coming in. I wonder if this will happen again, where one of us chooses a movie that we haven't seen in a while and then we watch it and it's like, well, yeah. I didn't remember this I, being this way. I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Like yeah. if it happens to come up every once in a while, I think it's cool. Yeah. I don't think we've had an episode before where both of us were really lukewarm on the movie. Maybe I'm misremembering. But. Well, I mean, I don't think the person who picks the movie should intentionally pick something yeah, sh- they're lukewarm on. You know? I guess the closest was probably Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, but that was was an intentional choice. Yeah, we knew what we were getting. Yeah, I'm not. The thing is, though, I'm not lukewarm on that film. I have very strong (laughs) feelings about that film. Um, True, but and yeah, uh, but anyway, yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for entering in with me uh, and having a good conversation. Thank you for picking this movie. This is it. It's not one that I probably would have chosen to watch for myself. At least not, you know. I don't know. Um, it's it's just one I kind of had not 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 that I'd never heard of it, but I'd never really thought about. And I'm glad I watched it. I honestly am. Um, even though I wasn't crazy about it, it is it's a charming movie. Um, it's nice to just sit and vibe out to some music and think about art for a while. So yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I said already that I really don't like Adam Levine's voice. <laughs> I actually like his voice quite a bit if he's singing the right songs. Mm. Um, they will never, they will never. Songs about Jane, man. That album's really good. They they yeah. peaked with their first album. Mm. They've had they've had good songs since then, but their first album is really just really great. Yeah, um, not that I think he's a bad singer. It's just not really my personal taste in music. He's kind of an asshole though in real life. Mm. So you know, whatever. Um, at least he doesn't have a huge beard. So, <laughs> man, when he had that beard, I was like, dang. So ridiculous. I, I was also like, like, how, what time period is this movie taking place over? Because they mentioned that he's in the States for like, what, six months or something yeah. like that? Like, I was very confused. I feel like a record company would look at him and be like, no, no, that look doesn't work. No. You know, like. Like, were they trying to make some sort of commentary on the sort of indie folk movement of the the early 2000s you know the sort of Mumford and Son wearing the hey, little black hey, vests and don't the hats. hate on Mumford and Sons oh I am not hating I genuinely I sincerely love Mumford and Sons and it grieves me when people shit on them um it's but it's a very it's a very you know it's a very distinct look that I feel like people were I feel like it was more so a commentary on this guy's ego's gotten so big that he doesn't recognize <laughs> when he looks ridiculous and he's like let me just try this thing I think it looks hot his ego and grows like, with his beard yeah <laughs> <laughs> like Samson he needs to shave it off and then he'll be back to normal yeah then yeah um 
but yeah I it's man it's really crazy um it's like anyway yeah so okay let's let's close this out I don't want to just like keep hating on this movie so um okay so this movie it actually has higher scores than I would have thought so it has a 62 on Metacritic which is fine it has an 83 on Rotten Tomatoes which I found surprising which is the same score that Master and Commander had on Rotten Tomatoes Mm. which I'm like well "Hmm." this is why Rotten Tomatoes is not a great guarantor of the quality of a movie it's just a guarantee of whether people are generally positive towards the movie right this is this is why metacritic is more so for me because any sort of movie rating website where master and commander and begin again have the same score i'm like i don't i don't i don't don't, that doesn't sit well with me (laughs) um but anyway there were actually a lot of really fun reviews for this movie i initially compiled like nine of them and i was like okay i can't read nine reviews so I would just recommend go to Metacritic and read all the reviews. Honestly, they're they're quite interesting. Um, but I pulled four that I'll read real quick. Real quick. One comes from Paul McKines at the Guardian, and he says, "Paul Paul McKines, isn't that what I said? You said Paul McKines. <laughs> Did sorry. I? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, Paul <laughs> McKines at the Guardian. He says the film's sole saving grace is, of course, Ruffalo. Which I, I agree. agree. Yeah. If Mark Ruffalo." Had been if his character had been played by a lesser actor, this movie would have been a complete disaster, in my opinion. Um, he just exudes charm; just he yeah. doesn't even have to try. Yeah. Um, the next one comes from Elizabeth Weitzman at the Daily News, and she says Knightley does fine work, but she's been miscast. Her innate sophistication undermines the movie's intentions right off the bat. We never believe her as Greta, which I agree. Um, this next person, I've noticed I've pulled some of his reviews a few times, so I think I yeah, need to just like start following him because I think I just like his stuff. But this is Ty Burr at the Boston Globe, and he says, Begin Again is pleasantly predictable if you're in an undemanding mood. However, if you're not, it's unbearable, like hearing a treasured folk song given a hot 97 makeover. I also agree with that. Like if you're in a, if you're in a good mood, it, like an undemanding mood, like, you know, it's, it's pleasant. But if you're not, this movie's pretty pretty hard to sit through. Um, <laughs> Can I ask a question from someone who's very ignorant about modern music? Sure. What is a Hot 97? Is that a radio station? Well, full disclosure, I don't actually know what Hot 97 means. But my my assumption is that, like, because this review would have come out in 2013. So my assumption is that it's, like, you know, a hot, like, a hot 100. Like, let's take this song and remix it to make it, like, a hip hop song or something like that. Um, so kind of like a sellout version of an indie type of thing. I just Googled it. The first result was Hot 97 FM, which is a radio station oh. with artist news, music, videos, interviews, and everything else you need to know in the world of hip hop. Oh, interesting. All interesting. right. Well, yeah. taking anyway. a treasured folk song and giving it a hip hop makeover. That's, <laughs> I mean, probably not it, the greatest. We've seen it done before. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. Anyway. This last one comes from a person named Susan Vlashishinka at at RogerEbert.com. Sorry, Susan. Apologies to Susan. Um, And to all our Polish listeners. Yes. Um, But she says, with its cast of extremely likable performers, the perfect summer in the city backdrop, in this case, New York, and a soundtrack stuffed with catchy, well-produced hits, Begin Again makes for easy, breezy entertainment. So I wanted to kind of give 
lots of different types of reviews kind of all moving in a more positive direction because again there are some nice things about this movie it does make for easy breezy entertainment you know if that's all you're looking for Mm. this movie delivers yeah um honestly i feel like i should pick music and lyrics one day to do as an episode that would be do it do it yeah have you ever ever seen that no i I know of it but i've not seen it you hate many rom-coms but i'd I'd love to rewatch it (laughs) i'd love to see your reaction to it yeah um so this movie was nominated for one oscar which was best original song for lost stars potentially fine i don't know what else was nominated for that year but i'm okay with it yeah um see if i can figure it out i feel like best song is just a category that is often not great it's just like songs that were in movies this year yeah like (laughs) all right i'm looking it up as as we speak but you can keep going stop the feeling oh wait i found it um oh okay Uh, (laughs) i mean it didn't it didn't win so it didn't win um the song that did win i do not remember but it is the song glory from the movie selma Um, oh that's a good one it's a good song okay yeah i great movie i don't remember that song but um but the reason i made that noise is because the second thing that was nominated was everything is awesome from the lego movie which is also a great song talking about good songs from from like kids movies of that area of that era try mm-hmm. everything from zootopia is a banger Ooh, that, is that a banger. song is a bop yes, it's I so agree. good it is really good <laughs> oh my gosh that song is so good try everything anyway yeah, not a fan of everything is awesome, but that's fine. Um, and then there was, and then there was that one from uh, from Trolls to the uh, yeah, I know what you're which one. Can't stop the about? feeling. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that one. That one was overplayed so much. Um, anyway, that was a fun conversation. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think Glory deserved to win. Glory is a great song. Okay, I'll go um, back and listen to it again. But. Yes. I mean, it's not like something that you just like turn on the radio and listen to and you're like, it's great. It's more so like the meaning of it within the context of the the film and all of that. It's not like, oh, I want to listen to Glory right now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What a bop. (laughs) Put it (laughs) on my my road trip playlist. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. okay. So final thoughts on the film. Um, I guess like honestly, honestly, my takeaway from this film is going to be how much my reaction changed. I I just think it's so interesting how depending on your state of mind, this movie can hit you one way or hit you another way. And I just found that to be really interesting. So honestly, that's going to be my takeaway. My my takeaway the first time I watched it was that whole sequence with the two of them walking around New York City listening to music, um, which it's still a great sequence that I do genuinely really like. But this time around, it's just like, I can't believe my reaction was so different the second time around. So, yeah. How about yeah. you? Yeah, it happens sometimes. Will you ever watch this again? Probably not. Gotcha. <laughs> Unless I'm in like a, you know, a group, a friend group and they want to watch it or something like that. I don't think a whole lot about this movie is going to stick with me apart from that one scene of them walking around listening to music and talking about music as, what is he said, effervescent pearls that elevate the daily life um and also Kira Knightley style because I do genuinely really love her, her wardrobe in this movie that is so funny but yeah that's so interesting that's about it. it is funny because I realized way back when I first got a Pinterest I pinned several of these outfits not realizing that they were from this movie and oh interesting yeah yeah when huh. I was first kind of figuring out my own personal style um using Pinterest 
that hmm. was that's kind of baked so it's kind of baked into the dna in a way yeah well it inspired you and then you improved upon it there so. we go okay. well thank you <laughs> and i genuinely mean that um okay so yeah what do we talk about next week geneva yes i did not realize that we are already up to this movie but i'm very tatum is shaking her head <laughs> I'm very excited because having just done a trip into the American Southwest, I've been excited to revisit another Western. So we are doing the 1943 movie, The Oxbow Incident, uh, starring Henry Fonda. And yeah, Any relation um, to Jane Fonda? His, uh, her father. Oh, gotcha. I didn't yep. know she had a father who was yep. in Jane Fonda, showbiz. Nepo baby. Gotcha. We, lo- we still love her. She's very talented, as is Henry Fonda. Hmm. Have you seen... This is a very random question, but I... It will probably make more sense once you have seen the Oxbow Incident, but you've seen 12 Angry Men, right? Oh, of course I have. Yeah, because I love that I, movie. I feel like 12 Angry Men and the Oxbow Incident would make a really interesting double feature where the topic is Henry Fonda facing up against the legal system and questions of justice and the miscarriage of justice and... um people facing up against um the mob and all these sorts of things so anyway we will see you do we have people with caked on makeup in this one like super Uh, white powder on their hair to make them look old um not that i remember it's much more contained in its time frame do we have Jimmy Stewart going, whoa, anyone can read? <laughs> Sadly, of no, Jimmy Stewart. Of course you can read. <laughs> like, good gracious. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we need to end this episode. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Be back for next week. Who knows? Maybe I'll shock everyone and I'll fall in love with the Western movie. We'll I'm keeping my expectations low. Yeah, I'll just, uh, we'll just have everyone waiting on the edge of their seats to hear what I... <laughs> <laughs> my thoughts but anyway thanks for uh thanks for coming by guys and uh we'll talk to you next week bye bye thanks for listening if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com our theme song was composed by joel rushton and our podcast graphic was designed by kara Shin. if you like this show and want to hear more please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.